Welcome into the Bet US College Football Show. It is Tuesday, December 6th. I am your host, Gary Seegers. I am at GaryWCE on Twitter, and we have got some things to discuss. It is Army Navy week. That's right, week 15 of the regular season, I suppose you could call it. Uh, but this is the week after championship week and right before we get into bowl games. So let me go ahead and bring in our experts here on the show on the left side of your screen, Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter. He is the numbers guy, the numerical guru, the analyst, if you will. Uh, Parker, uh, pretty good week last week. Of course, conference championship week is uh, is finished and uh, and uh, things actually went the way that we thought they would uh, for the first time in several, several weeks, right? Yeah, it was uh, a couple weeks of going just about 500 for me, which is um, always annoying because I'd rather at least be wrong enough that people could make money fading me. But 50-50 is not doing anybody any favors. Uh, <laughs> glad to get the three and one last week, some great games and and some really close things. And honestly, um, if Jeff Brom would have just stopped kicking field goals and tried to get a touchdown once or twice, maybe I'd have had a, a different week. But still happy with the three and one, still happy with the slate of games for sure. Oh, most, most certainly. On the right side of the screen, of course, Kyle Hunter, our award-winning professional handicapper at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Uh, Kyle, another good week for you as well. Uh, things are things are going good right now, right? Yeah, it was a fun week. Uh, I, I, nice to see the show record uh, bounce back there nicely last week. I was feeling a little bit bad for Parker in that last game because I feel like Purdue probably should have covered on that one. <laughs> but it's a fun uh, chat back and forth there with uh, Parker and Gary on that one. Oh, most certainly, most certainly. It was uh, it was an entertaining evening. Uh, Purdue absolutely should have covered. Uh, but I, I've seen Jim Harbaugh do this multiple times, right? <laughs> like they've done it this year, where uh, they just continue to run up the scores. So uh, it is it is what it is. Let me go ahead and tell everybody first. As we get into bowl season, we will be here every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. If you're not already subscribed to the show, go ahead and do that. It allows you into the chat where we've already got Scott and Shane and Mark and Julius. Uh, you guys are, of course, the lifeblood of the show. Uh, while you're in, of course, the chat, I, I'm curious about this personally. Uh, go ahead and toss in where you're actually watching the show from. I, I want to get the chat rolling. I want to see where you guys are actually watching from. Um, but that's just a personal thing. So I would, I would like to see where you guys are watching the show from. Uh, along with that, make sure that you like the video. It's the little thumbs up button that's under the video. That helps us out tremendously. It helps out with whatever the YouTube algorithm is. So go ahead and do that for us as well. And uh, if you don't get to watch the show live, we totally understand. That's okay. We would prefer that you be here live with us because the chat is really, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest things about this show. But... The podcast is pretty pretty freaking good as well. I, I will I will go ahead and admit that. It is the NFL feed and the college football feed all in one nice little bundle. That is the BetUS football show on Apple, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. So go ahead and subscribe over there as well. Make sure and leave a nice five-star written review on that. Uh, jump in the chat for the Q&A. We will be doing a Q&A at the end of the show. On today's show, let me go ahead and give you a breakdown of what we're doing. We're going to discuss Army and Navy. We're going to discuss the Heisman odds and what we're looking at for this weekend. And we're going to give a little bit of an early look ahead to TCU and Michigan and Ohio State and Georgia. Of course, the college football playoff matchups. Uh, but let's go ahead and start first today with giving you a recap of what we have done thus far on the season. Uh, as you'll see on your screen here, uh, I am sitting at 48-35-3 after a nice 4-0 week last week. Uh, Parker went three and one last week, improved to 39, 43 and one. And Kyle right there in the middle, 29 and 27 uh, after a one and one week on the show last week. Uh, that gives us an overall show record of 116, 105 and one. We are now at 52.49%. Uh, and I will go ahead and tell you, I looked back. That is significantly better than what we were last year at this time. So we are making strides. We are improving as a show, and that is always a good thing. When you are profitable, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let's start off with game number one here, uh, and really uh, the only game where we're going to have picks on this, but Army and Navy. Army at home, I guess it is considered. It's Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. Uh, it's 3 p.m. Eastern time on CBS Navy. Currently a one-and-a-half-point favorite with a total of 33 on this. And honestly, uh, right this second, that thing may be down to 32-and-a-half. It is certainly trending that way. It opened at 34. Uh, Kyle, I want to start with you here. Navy won last year 17-13. to 13. 
these two teams, two and two straight up. Navy is three and one against the spread in the last four against Army. Jeff Munkin's team has been considered the better team over the past eh, four years, five years, whatever it may be. Uh, Navy seven and two against the spread in their last nine overall. Army is five and zero oh against the spread in their last five. So these two teams certainly trending in the right direction. Uh, the under has hit in sixteen straight meetings. Uh, Kyle, is this as easy as just hey we're going to blind bet uh, Service Academy under here? No, I mean it used to be. Yeah, it used to be that easy, and now it's not that easy anymore. The under sixteen and zero oh in the last sixteen, but. Nine of the 16 would have gone over this year's total, and, and that's time. So, uh, you know, I, I guys, I have to say I'm not one of these guys usually, but I miss the good old days where the line was usually in the 50s. And for a long time, this total was 50-something, and it was just an automatic bet to the under for me every single year. And now I will admit I jumped off too soon. I think I won seven or eight of these in a row, and now for like the, fa- the past five years I passed. And I should have kept going, obviously, easy to say now. but. Uh, we're sitting at 33 or 32 and a half now. I mean, just an extremely low uh, total. This uh, I looked through this uh, on play-by-play and through the last 12 years of breakdown. Um, eight of the first halves have been higher. Four of the second halves have been higher. I think that makes sense. 18.58 points per half in the first half, 15.33 in the second over the last 12 years. The teams have been kind of trying to open it up a little bit on offense in the first half. Um, they, they have to be a little bit less predictable. So you'll see some of these razzle-dazzle plays, a little bit of passing. We know that neither one of them are great at that, but they're at least capable of doing that, especially if the, the defense thinks that the run is coming every single time. So um, I think they will probably, again, be more aggressive in the first half and see if they can get some points. So if you like an over, and I'm not saying I like the over, uh, I would consider a first half over even. Um, this is one where... You know, it was absolute money in the bank for such a long time. And Service Academy unders, I don't want to go against it. I'm not going to bet an over. But, uh, you know, you're talking about a total that was five or six years ago was 51. And now it's 33, 32 and a half. That's a massive drop. I mean, I don't have to tell you that there's going to be a lot of games fall between that. So um, and in past years, I've kind of like found myself hoping for a high scoring game between these two. So the next year I could take an under, you know, but it just never happens. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's tough because you always want to grab the under or an underdog. In this case, there's no dog catching three points, you know, because you assume the game's going to be close. Um, these two teams are 124th and 128th in tempo. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but uh, Navy is running on 84% of plays, Army running on almost 87% of plays. I would think the pass rate's higher here than it is in their normal games because they know that the opposition is uh, defending this every single day in practice. And both of these teams have had a lot of time to get ready for this game. So uh, I think that could be important as well. The key to this handicap is rushing defense. Navy has been much better on rushing defense, 14th in rushing play success rate allowed, 125th for Army. But Army's done fine stopping the triple option. And I don't think uh, you know them struggling against other running attacks really means too much against Navy's running attack. So um, like I said, if you like the over, I think I would take the first half over. I think I saw 15 and a half or 16, which is just insane. But um, what, what I kind of want to do personally is I want to look for a couple early scores and see if the live total gets bet up high enough that I could take the under. Um, if I see a 41 or 42 or something like that, I'll play the live under in this one, thinking that this game will slow down a decent amount after early offensive success. As far as the side, this feels kind of like a coin flip to me. So uh, I'll see what you guys think on the side. I don't really have any opinion there. I, I am totally with you on everything that you said. The first half, they take uh, maybe a few more risks. Uh, once you get settled into a tight, tight game, yeah, both teams kind of stick to what they know and you're just waiting for the other team to make a mistake. And neither of these teams really seem to do that. Uh, You start looking at turnover margin, Army number 66 in the country, Navy is number 22, Army is number 9 in penalties per game, Navy is number 1. So they don't really beat themselves a whole lot. Uh, Army has gotten much better at not turning the ball over after they had some some early season disasters, I would say. Uh, Parker, you know, we'll move over to you. We look at these numbers from Navy's defense, and they are just really, really good at stopping the run. They uh, they held UCF to only 84 yards rushing, Notre Dame to 66, Cincinnati to 55, and Temple to 20. But a lot of that was because Navy can't stop the pass. 
Like, they're just not very good at that. Uh, but I don't know that you're going to get a ton of passing from Army. Like, once they once they stepped away from throwing the football, uh, they they tended to be better. I will say that they've only lost two ball games since that loss to Wake in the middle of the season, uh, and that was to Air Force in a six-point game and a one-point loss at Troy. So this Army team, uh, again, I will mention, certainly trending in the right direction here. Uh, strength of schedule, like maybe that says something here. Army is number 127. Navy is number 51 in that. Uh, Parker, give me some thoughts here because I, I'm leaning one direction, but I don't feel good enough about it just yet. Yeah, so I'm going to say I, I I love what Kyle and you both said there, and I'm going to disregard both of those uh, comments entirely <laughs> with my picks here, and I'm going to take I'm going to take two on this because I I really think that one um the these teams prepare for this game like it is their Super Bowl, and I don't mean that as derogatory. You know, sometimes Twitter fans are like, oh, this was your Super Bowl. I just mean this game means a lot, and it's awesome that we get to see it this weekend. But um, even as they're you know playing and preparing for other teams and and focusing on um, Navy you know, winning a conference championship, for instance, uh, this is this is kind of the pinnacle of their season. Army playing for a bowl here. They can get uh, qualified for, at, at six and six. Um, but I, I think that there's a couple of key instances of context before I get into the real numbers. Um, the, you know, you could look at Navy's last three and say, okay, 10-point game against Cincinnati, three-point loss to Notre Dame, three-point win against UCF. And I think there's two things to note there. One, the UCF game, Mikey Keene came in at halftime. And Mikey Keene's a fine quarterback, but especially preparing to have John Reese Plumley, who's a little bit more mobile, um, it's a lot easier to defend Mikey Keene trying to do what John Reese Plumley did as opposed to Mikey Keene doing what Mikey Keene can do. So the preparation issue there, I think, really caught UCF with that injury, um, especially if you look at that game in the second half. Um, you know, Navy scored two first, uh, first half touchdowns and then went punt. Uh, field goal after a fumble on the UCF 34, uh, punt, 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 end of game, and just ran out the clock. So, I mean, basically no offense at the second half to speak of whatsoever. A special teams turnover got them over the hump there. So that game definitely needs some context. And for Notre Dame, you think about um, Notre Dame's schedule. They played Navy, uh, beat them 35-32. Um, they have BC and, and USC in the two weeks after that. Uh, coming right off of a, a pretty gutsy win against Clemson and Syracuse back-to-back -back ranked wins. Definitely a letdown effect there. Def definitely a preparation effect there. So um, even as Navy's schedule has been pretty impressive just uh, just on the face value, I think that uh, these are these are how these teams are designed to play, is to be this kind of annoying um, close possession games. And, and, and they're able to impose that, but that doesn't necessarily speak to what they'll be able to do against another team who's trying to play the same way, which is what Army is doing. Um, looking at this, I think both of you made really salient points about the run pass splits. We're looking at number 129 and 130 in rush rate over expected, right? Navy is rushing 31.1% more than the average team. <laughs> Army, 33.4%. Uh, we, we know that. You don't need a math degree to uh, to know that that's what's happening here. A couple key splits, I think, are very, very important here. Um, on the Navy side, so when Navy has the ball, um, I, I, honestly, we talk about this triple option offense being, hey, you just get a couple, get a couple, and then boom, hit that big play. Maybe you can extend the play. Navy can't do that at all. They're 46th in EPA per rush. They're 90th in EPA per pass. So they're not passing very much at all, and they're not selecting their passes or executing those big plays as well. They historically have not, uh, this season, they have not shown uh, really an ability to generate that big play through the air. Um, Army's 85th in EPA per pass, but 116th in EPA per rush. I think that that pass defense doesn't bother me as much, and the rush defense will be benefited here because they know what they're preparing for, and they know that they're able to um, line up against a team that can't really threaten in the pass. Another split that I think is really important, um, Navy is 75th on early downs, but they're 28th in third and fourth down success. That means they are successful at getting that three yards in cloud of dust. Um, Army's defense has been slightly better uh, on, on late downs than early downs. Again, in this situation, knowing what's coming, that certainly favors them. On the flip side, Army's offense has been way better on early downs EPA. 16th in early downs EPA in the nation, 0.114, and 37th in third and fourth down success. So I'm going to go with Army and an under here because I believe that Army's offense is more well-equipped to face a team who's going to defend the triple option, knowing the triple option, than Navy's offense is 
attacking a defense that's uh, defending the triple option here. So I like Army's explosiveness and early downs ability to kind of stretch out, stay ahead of the chains, and not play this three yards in a cloud of dust game that Navy is having to play this year and muck it up. If Army can hit one or two big plays, I think we'll be low scoring. I think Army wins this outright. Um, and uh, it was it was a pick earlier this week. We've got a couple of points here. I'm I'm going to go with Army and the under. I can certainly understand all of my numbers like Army outright, uh, but I didn't feel good enough about it because of the the Navy numbers. But the way that you've explained it, uh, that does I, I might have to ride with you a little bit of pizza money on this. If this thing gets out to like three, uh, then absolutely I, I'm going to ride with Army. Uh, this thing opened by the way, Army minus one and a half. So it's already flipped three points through a key number, of course, zero, uh, which is not not totally common. But, uh, yeah, when you look at this, I mean, the standard down success over the past five weeks, et cetera, uh, Army is significantly better, but that Navy defense has been uh, pretty light out, pretty light out. So the only official plays here, uh, Parker is going to ride with the under 33, and he is going to ride with Army plus the one and a half, and I cannot disagree with it. I cannot disagree. Another fact, by the way, about the total uh, that Kyle and I were talking about. The last two years were the lowest totals in the history of this series, and those were both at 36. So if you take this thing, if it gets to 32, uh, you're talking about four points difference from the lowest that they have ever gotten. Now, don't get me wrong. They did hit the under in those. Uh, but like Kyle mentioned, there's been a lot of these totals uh, that would have been considered over if they had this year's total. Uh, just something to pay attention to. Just something to pay attention to. All right, let me remind everybody. Of course, we do have the podcast. I told you about that. Make sure that you are subscribed over there and that you leave a nice five-star review. That is the BetUS Football Show. Apple, Spotify, whatever your podcast app of choice is on that. Uh, if you've not already, jump into the chat here for the Q&A. We will be doing that after we discuss Heisman odds and, of course, the CFP stuff. Uh, but, yeah, we want to know your questions, what all is going on with and we're probably not going to answer a lot about the transfer portal because who knows what mayhem may have happened while we've been on the air. So we won't discuss much about that. But coaching changes, et cetera, we can, we can talk about some of that stuff. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Like the video. Of course, hit the notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live. That will be every Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time, right here during bowl season. It's going to be a fun, fun month in December. So no show tomorrow. Uh, so if you tune in, you don't see anything. Your computer's not going crazy. We're not going to be here tomorrow, but we will be here next Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, let's dive into Heisman Trophy discussion. Let's talk about the current uh, Heisman finalists. Caleb Williams is your favorite at minus 2,200 over at BetUS. Max Duggan, plus 1,800, of course, the TCU quarterback. Stetson Bennett, the Georgia quarterback, he is plus 1,800 as well, which I found... Uh, remarkable, and C.J. Stroud, plus 2,500. Gentlemen, let me give you an idea of how these odds have shifted throughout the season. All right, we will start with what the preseason odds were here. Uh, Williams was plus 650 uh, on August 28th. That was the, the day after the first week zero games. So Caleb Williams, plus 650. Max Duggan was plus 10,000. And honestly, a lot of places he was not even listed. Uh, Stetson Bennett was plus 9,000 after that first uh, week zero Saturday. And C.J. Stroud was your odds-on favorite at plus 210. You get to the middle of the season, and of course, Hendon Hooker is doing his thing, and, and some things have changed, and Caleb Williams has taken a loss to uh, Utah, and the odds have shifted at that point. Caleb Williams was plus 1,400 on October 24th. Uh, Max Duggan was plus 6,000 on October 24th. Stetson Bennett plus 3,000. C.J. Stroud was even money to win the Heisman the week before Halloween. Just mind-blowing when you look at it, what this thing has shifted into now. Now, I do have a trivia question for the gentleman here, and I'm going to let either one of you answer it, whoever wants to do it first. Uh, the definition of anticlimactic is causing disappointment at the end of an exciting or impressive series of events. Three of the four finalists here lost the last game that they played before the Heisman ceremony. There is only one player that has done that in the last 18 years. Can you name who it was? Mm. <laughs> last 18 years. Last 18 not years. Not won their last game. Not won only, the, only the one Heisman winner. Yeah. 
I'm going to guess it's like an Alabama person and they lost the Iron Bowl and didn't go to the SEC championship or something. Is it one of those years? Like, uh, that, that would be incorrect. Like or something? That would, okay. you, hey, how about this? Guess. If I gave you uh, the conference, I bet you could get it. It is uh, the ACC. No, they went undefeated that year. He didn't win. No, I have no idea. I'm stumped. Kyle, any guesses? Hmm. I, really I take it this isn't too recently. <laughs> well, it's, it's fairly recent. Fairly recent. We talk about him a lot on NFL Sundays. Uh, Lamar Jackson. Lamar uh, Jackson lost yeah. the last two games of the regular season in 2016 and still won the trophy. The only one to win it before that was 2003. Jason White at Oklahoma lost 35-7 to uh, in the conference championship game to Kansas State. So that is something to pay attention to. We do have a, uh, a former uh, Big 12 quarterback that lost to Kansas State in a title game that ended up winning the trophy. Just throwing it out there. So there are trends here, maybe. <laughs> but yes, uh, Lamar Jackson lost to Houston and Kentucky to end the season. Of course, that was Tom Herman's Houston Cougars. Uh, so yes, that's uh, very, very interesting. Let's, let's pull up on the screen the prior Heisman winners just over the past five years, uh, just to get an idea of what we're looking at here. And Parker, I want to I kind of get your opinion on this. I think it's a, a foregone conclusion that Caleb Williams is going to win this. Uh, Baker Mayfield in 2017, Kyler Murray in 2018, both Oklahoma quarterbacks, both Lincoln Riley guys, Joe Burrow in 2019, 2020, Devontae Smith from Alabama, and Bryce Young at Alabama last year. So you've only had three schools represented over the past five years. Uh, this one, a little bit different. Of course, USC, TCU, Georgia, and Ohio State. Uh, Parker, give me some thoughts on this. Uh, is, is there anything maybe that we're overlooking as far as uh, you know, we've got three guys here that lost the last game that they played. What what did the numbers show us about the way that this thing maybe should be going? Yeah, so looking at the last couple, I mean, it's become a quarterback award with one exception where Devonta Smith won it in 2020. And the reason is so much around Alabama's team kind of fell apart. There were injuries and they relied on him so much. Um, Devonta Smith, of those five guys that that won it last, Devonta Smith had the um, the second lowest total EPA but he had the lowest plays by over 200. So he was at 135 total EPA, uh, averaging 1.04 EPA per play. So why was it not a quarterback award in 2020? Because every time that you threw the ball to Devonta Smith, you increased your expected value by over a point. Just absolutely incredible when he caught a pass there. Um, and so the reason that we don't have any of those guys out here this season is um, Blake Corum, uh, or Mar Marvin Harrison Jr., I think got a lot of love. He's only at 77 0.7 total EPA, which is less than half of Devonta Smith, averaging 0.278 EPA per play. Blake Corum is 58.9 total EPA, 0.238 EPA per play. And then Bijan Robinson's another one that people said a lot, but um, he really only had 30.1 total EPA and 0.128 uh, average. So the reason we don't have a position player this year, um, in, in my mind, uh, for what the Heisman is, is that none of those guys separated themselves from their offense so much to say, hey, you absolutely have to have me here. There's a reason that J.J. McCarthy is not here is because Blake Corum did so much for that offense, but they functioned on so many different levels that McCarthy didn't stand out um, overall uh, as, as, as a Heisman finalist. So when we look at the quarterbacks who won, all of them averaged at least um, 0.45 EPA per play with the exception of Bryce Young last year, um, whose passing was severely hampered by some drops and by um, a bunch of scrambling ability because the offensive line was a little bit dicey. So we look at Burrow, Maker, uh, Burrow Mayfield, and Murray. Uh, that's 0.46 EPA, 0.52 EPA per play, 0.55 EPA per play for Kyler Murray there. So about a half a point of value. Um, no quarterback this season is anywhere uh, close to that, except for Caleb Williams, who's at 0.66 EPA per, uh, excuse me, 0.65 EPA per play. So on a per play efficiency basis, he's standing out among everyone in terms of value and in terms of total value, he's at um, 143 EPA per play um, uh, just through his passing alone, which would put him absolutely um in in line with some of the you know with with bryce young last year from the heisman winner and he added over um 48.5 total epa 
uh, rushing as well. So totally in line with some of those numbers that we've seen as Caleb Williams being that guy who's in the mid 220s, you know, two, two teens of, of total EPA. Um, one person I'll point out kind of in this long monologue that I'm disappointed isn't there, Michael Penix Jr., um, I think a favorite of the BetUS podcaster and, oh, yes. and show for sure. 192 total EPA through the air, 3.5 on the ground. He averaged 0.383 EPA per play. 192 is tops. Um, and, and granted, we're, we're accounting for garbage time here. We're taking our garbage time. So, you know, Hendon Hooker doesn't get credit for scoring 60 against Missouri and, and all that. Um, but, but saying just uh, non-garbage time, Michael Penix Jr. is leading the nation in total EPA. And per play efficiency, he is ahead of um, Duggan. He's ahead of um, Stroud for sure as well. And, and uh, so it's a little bit disappointing that he didn't get a nod here. But there's a reason why it's only quarterbacks this year. And there's a reason why um, uh, why those four got selected. I think Penix is the only glaring omission here. And if he was in the field, the numbers historically would say he would be somebody you would think would be the favorite. But looking at this, it's got to be Williams because of the four that are there, he has the most value and has the similar profile as the guys the last couple of years as well. It does definitely make sense. Kyle, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, if the week before rivalry week, would you have ever thought that C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams would just flip so so ridiculously? Like, there were so many more people that watched C.J. Stroud uh, and Ohio State against Michigan, and yet they weren't willing to forgive that loss for C.J. Stroud, but they were willing to forgive it for uh, really all of these other guys. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on, you know, the Heisman Trophy finalists here? Well, I mean, I think you could say that um, uh, for USC, USC, the game could have gone differently if Williams didn't get hurt early on, certainly. Uh, you know, I, I got some heat for the team total play over. I kind of think they probably would have hit that team total over if Caleb Williams had been healthy. Uh, that game goes a lot differently, certainly. And it's a lot easier to, to pressure him if you know he can't roll away and take off or, or make something big happen. As far as that game... Um, uh, I think C.J. Stroud was kind of overrated for a good while throughout the season. You know, um, Stroud had had a good year. He hadn't had a Heisman type year. I still think Stroud's a good quarterback, certainly. But uh, if you look at a lot of the the data, even through the season, he wasn't at the top of the list uh, among uh, quarterbacks for much of the season. But Ohio State was playing so well. And Stroud was so much of their offense with them throwing so often. And really, their running game wasn't working that well, partially because Henderson and Williams had been out quite a bit. But uh, Stroud had been so much of their offense that it was kind of reliant on Ohio State continuing to win because his numbers weren't as amazing as they could have been. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's I think it's kind of a shame that you finish with four quarterbacks. I'd like to see somebody else in there other than just a quarterback at some point. And I don't want to go down this uh, rabbit hole of talking about Stetson Bennett uh, for too long. So I, I don't want to go there because I, I feel like it'll just put me in a bad place. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think you could argue that a couple of the guys that are in this final group could have been uh, bumped out for somebody else, even a Blake Corum. And I mean, I, I wouldn't be considered a Michigan fan by anybody, but, uh, you know, I think Corum meant so much to that team this year that that uh, he would have made some sense. And Penix and some of the other quarterbacks. Uh, I know Drake may have had a bad last couple games or he might have been in here as well. But uh, to me, you know, it's hard to imagine anybody other than uh, Williams winning at the at this point. And I, I think he probably deserves it. It it does make sense. I do think that Williams does deserve this. Uh, we we talk about Stetson Bennett and whatnot. We're not going to spend long on it. Uh, but just over the past, you know, five well, I guess six weeks uh, from week nine on, uh, Georgia is number five in PPA per pass. They are number seven in uh, uh, passing success rate. Number eight in passing downs PPA. Uh, the numbers and they're not great at rushing the ball over the past you know six weeks or whatever. Uh, they're number eighty two in PPA per rush. So Stetson Bennett. While not a prototypical NFL kind of quarterback, the way that the offense has been run, et cetera, through him, he's done some really good things. I mean, hanging 50 on LSU in that SEC championship game, uh, granted some of that came with special teams and LSU blunders, et cetera, but still put up some really big numbers and and looked good all year. So it, you've always got that one guy that's kind of got the, uh, the lifetime achievement situation, uh, and that's kind of what Stetson Bennett has got here. I, the team doesn't lose. He's the best quarterback on the best team, I guess. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think it's Caleb Williams. 
uh, it does make perfect sense. And it, Kyle, tell me this: is there any is there any value in betting on Caleb Williams minus twenty two hundred at this point? Like, if we know that this is a foregone conclusion that he's going to win, I mean, is that not just as simple as hey, I'm going to put twenty two bucks down to turn it into twenty three? I mean, I, I can't do that. You know, somebody else says I don't blame them, but I see that big of a number, I get I get anxious for sure. Especially when it's this is based on voters, right? It's not based on an actual game of somebody winning versus somebody else. So I don't want to take a risk on something like that. If you do it, you're, I mean, you're going to win probably, but um, <laughs> I, I can't do something like that. And I will say uh, we probably should have gave a shout out too to Max Duggan for the effort that he had at the end of that game last week. I mean, tremendous oh, yeah. effort. My wife's watching the game with me and she's like, who is that guy? That guy's trying so hard. Yeah. Um, his effort uh, stands out and uh, even after the game being upset and being like we we want a chance uh, he's an easy guy to root for that's for sure oh most certainly hey Parker tell me this do you think Duggan wins this thing if they quarterback sneak and he's the one that that scores like a game-winning touchdown in the championship game up oh, you're muted I muted myself because I was typing in those EPA numbers <laughs> into the chat and didn't want to click any clack and uh, get everybody there um, <laughs> I think that he probably shouldn't um, just because of that, like, I don't think it's a good system for, you know, the results of that one play to happen, especially because, I mean, he was banged up pretty bad that last drive and Kansas State's backup nose tackle was in. So they thought, hey, surely we can move them and and, and push there. Um, I don't think that, you know, them not getting that last touchdown and, and going for it and losing the game really detracts from Max Duggan's performance overall. Certainly you get a better moment there and there's a lot of narratives here. But I mean, I think that, you know, a rational voter should look at Caleb Williams being down two linemen, Caleb Williams clearly messing his hamstring up on the first set. Like, I, I, th- there's no need to equivocate here and, and hedge or anything, but just to say both quarterbacks absolutely gave everything they had um, to try and help their teams win a conference championship, which is great for college football because conference championships matter. But um, I, I don't know that one play would have been the decisive change here. I think that Duggan's a great story, and a lot of people are voting for that, um, almost kind of in like an anti-corporatization vote of just saying like, hey, we don't want it to be the number one draft pick necessarily. We want it to be the best college football player. So I understand that. Um, And I I will say there's been a lot made that's really, really silly about like Caleb Williams and character because of the things that he's, you know, writing on his tape and painting on his nails during the game. And like that or not, we can also, you know, Baker Mayfield in his college season did not necessarily act with grace and poise uh, that season. He won. He got suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct for a half of a game for, for some pretty gross stuff, actually. And um, and so I, I think it's probably also important to consider in this if you're you know trying to find an angle or trying to figure out. Um, it's not a Boy Scout award. They're, they're, they're saying that stuff, but they really don't care about it very much. And so that's probably not something to waste a lot of breath um, talking about when you're trying to figure out who should win the game or win the yeah, award. You- I think you're I think you're 100 percent right. I think you are 100 percent right. All right. We're going to move off of that one. Let's move into some early playoff discussion. Uh, first off, hey, before we dive into games, well, uh, you know, here I'll ask in just a minute. How's that? Uh, we'll start off with TCU in Michigan. TCU, a seven and a half point underdog. Currently, the total sits at 59. Latest numbers at BetUS. This is in the Fiesta Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. It's 4 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. And, of course, it is New Year's Eve, which is uh, not ideal as far as a TV ratings window goes. But regardless, uh, let's start with you, Kyle, on this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off some of these uh, trends here. TCU 4-11 and 11 against the spread in their last 15 neutral site games. They don't, they don't have them often, but regardless. 9-3-1 uh, <laughs> against the spread in their last 13 games. Michigan is 0-5 against the spread in their last five bowl games. But they are 19-7-1 against the number in their last 27 overall. I, I start looking at some of these numbers, and and I get where TCU could make a game out of this. Now, there's a lot of people that, of course, uh, TCU isn't going to be able to stay in this game. And there are people that question, uh, even in the chat here, uh, whether or not TCU really should have even been in this field. I, I don't believe that I agree with that. I think TCU had uh, the most deserving resume of any team outside of the top two, which is why they ended up at number three. Like, I I just, I don't know that there were a whole lot of people outside of Georgia and Michigan that should be in a playoff in this particular season. Uh, But regardless, TCU beat the team that just beat them. So they've already got that. Either way, we get to the Michigan game. Michigan has put up some, some duds, uh, we could say. 
against Illinois. They've had close calls, especially in the first half against Maryland, against, you know, many, many a Big Ten team. And I think that this TCU team is just as good as some of those teams. The recent trends for TCU certainly don't look great, but this is still a team that fights hard and has some really creative play calls. Uh, How do you see this thing maybe breaking down here? Yeah, I mean, my first thought is TCU getting this many points is kind of interesting. It was nine or nine and a half at one point. Now it's down to seven and a half. I see some sevens flashing here on the books, too. So it won't surprise me if it's kind of painted seven here in a while. Uh, To me, TCU played a tough schedule, 21st in strength of the schedule at Sagarin, Michigan 56th. So while Michigan stats are really impressive, they do kind of have to be opponent adjusted. They played some really weak teams, especially in the non-conference. Having said that, Michigan really peaked at the right time this year. So they're playing their very best football right now. Uh, I think they've probably improved more from, you know, week two or three to the end of the season than TCU has. Uh, Pace-wise, I would lean to the under, thinking this is a pretty high number for a Michigan team that is playing very slowly. Um, The question is, can TCU stop the run? Michigan's offensive line has been really good. TCU 73rd in rushing play success rate allowed. I think some of the TCU... Uh, negativity has been overblown. You know, we, we heard so many people saying, I think Gary would say the same thing. We heard people saying, what would Alabama be versus TCU on a neutral? And I'm seeing some people saying Alabama would be minus 15 or 16 on a neutral. And it's like, I, I would bet TCU. I mean, like, I'll yes. take TCU <laughs> in that because Bama hasn't been blowing out many people, especially away from home. So uh, I think TCU, it's easy to say, you know, uh, this many people would blow out TCU in a different conference. I think they probably underrate what the Big 12 is as a conference. Uh, TCU's had a good season. I think TCU has a chance in a game like this. Um, And while I'm not sure what I'm going to bet on this game, like I said, my strongest lean would be the under initially. Uh, And if you're leaning under, if you're catching more than a touchdown, it's hard to not at least lean a little bit toward TCU. Now, I will say... We found out many times that Jim Harbaugh wants to cover a spread, and that is something that I'll think about before I place a bet in this game. Because if they're up six or something at the end of the game, he's probably going to go ahead and try to score instead of taking a knee. So, um, you know, to me, TCU's deserving of being here. They played a tough schedule. They had a really good season. And, I mean, I feel like they probably should have won last week, especially based on how the game ended, how close they were, certainly. Um, this is a TCU team that's had a great season. Michigan is a, a good team. Uh, they're going to run the football a lot. The question is, can TCU stop the run? Like I said, I'll dive into this more, but my initial thought is I lean to the under here. I could I could certainly agree with that. Uh, I mean, it's gone from 60 down to 59, the total already. Uh, Parker, you know, I want to bring you in here. That question that Kyle has been asking, can TCU stop the run? I do think that getting, you know, a month off for TCU is going to be a good thing. Because, my gosh, TCU's uh, off week was in, what, week three? So they've played, what, 11 straight? No, 10 straight games? Whatever it is. I mean, it is just absurd, the gauntlet that they went through undefeated just to get to the Big 12 title game. Uh, Now you're going to have multiple weeks to be able to hang out, rest the body, uh, do the the cold plunge, whatever. Uh, You're going to sit in the sauna. You're going to get the toxins out. You're going to let the muscles heal up, etc. And then you get to deal with Donovan Edwards. Like, it's just not ideal. Uh, the numbers over the past uh, six weeks for TCU on defense, PPA per rush is number 80, uh, Well, Michigan's offense is number 18. Uh, rushing success rate allowed, number 84. Michigan is number 25. Uh, these are not great numbers when it comes to that. Uh, but at the same time, if Michigan tries to go over the top, I mean, TCU secondary has been elite here towards the end of the season. Uh, I'm curious what way you're looking at this ballgame. Well, TC certainly gotten practice this season for getting a team's best shot, which is what you get in the playoff. Being, you know, being number one in the Big 12, you get a lot of people. You've seen Texas Tech and Baylor um, and even Kansas State in the rematch, um, although I don't think it was to the same degree, drew up absolute nonsense plays, threw everything in the kitchen sink. We're, we're running concepts they hadn't run all season, absolutely just trying to put something new on paper to different degrees of, of efficacy. Um, that also certainly coincides with TCU playing 11 straight games and being banged up from Max Duggan, who bleeds every week, literally, <laughs> to Kendra Miller, the, the really good and perhaps underrated running back um, who had a hand issue and, and had to sit out at times just because he couldn't physically hold the ball. Um, Quentin Johnston with the ankle, ankle has not been 100% for a couple of weeks. And notably, speaking about the run defense, Johnny Hodges is TCU's you know, all-Big 12 newcomer of the year. 
um, really, really solid run defending uh, linebacker was out entirely for the Kansas State game. And you saw Kansas State at times with their backup kind of beefier counterpart to Deuce Vaughn just line up and play man ball and try and rush over TCU. So Hodges being healthy um, and TCU being healthy, I think will be really important for TCU's run stopping um, abilities there, particularly what TCU boasts against a team like Michigan is two two cornerbacks in Josh Newton and, and Trevious Hodges Tomlinson who can play one-on-one coverage very, very well with minimal help, allowing TCU to stack the box. Mark Perry will be a name you'll hear a lot in that game. He is kind of their run-stopping safety. He'll be all over the field and, and should be healthy as well. So I think TCU will be able to challenge. You certainly worry about depth. But again, you think about TCU playing 11 straight games um, and the fact that they've done so well with halftime adjustments. Uh, from a week-to-week preparation standpoint, they've had no bye weeks to prepare for these Big 12 teams that playing, you know, five or six ranked teams down the stretch here. So uh, a couple weeks of preparation, a little bit of health. I'd be inclined to take TCU if it's over a touchdown. I haven't even run my numbers yet, um, but I'm just saying <laughs> off the off of the back and kind of the traditional matchups and what I see, um, that'll be really interesting. Another thing is is to look at pace. I think that TCU will run tempo um, more often than we do. We know that uh, you know they're. TCU's 79th in rush rate over expected going into the Kansas State game um, last week. So they, they they like to run the ball a little bit, but they do like at the end of the game or into the half, into the game to get in those two-minute drills. We've seen they can move the ball really, really well. It wouldn't surprise me if they try to go tempo against this Michigan team um, and and see if they can exploit this, uh, you know, try, try to find some way to exploit the defense through tempo just because Michigan's going to play so slow and try and keep TC's defense on the field for a very long time. Will be an interesting matchup. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more, but look ahead here. If you're getting TCU 9.5, you're getting 7.5. Like, I, I think that's uh, more than more than reasonable. Um, especially because, you know, putting aside my TCU fandom, just saying sometimes these smaller uh, or perceived underdogs are a little more annoying towards the end of the game. And so it could be an opportunity where Michigan says, okay, we're going to win. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to do anything crazy uh, and get hurt. So we have a chance for the championship. And TCU says, hey, let's score some points on the national stage. So um, definitely an opportunity. And TCU has an offense where they can just chuck it and do that um, in in some garbage time as well. So I'd, I'd be inclined towards a bet towards TCU to cover here. I could uh, I could definitely understand that. Now my numbers do not do, like they don't agree with that uh, because I've got Michigan by double digits in the most recent weeks. I've got Michigan double digits on the full season, uh, but when you really break it down, I mean it's there's not a huge talent difference in these two teams. Uh, TCU is number ten in CFB winning edge uh, team strength, and Michigan is number four. Uh, you look at ESPN strength of record, Michigan is number three, TCU is number four. Like. I, there's there's not a massive uh, chasm of a difference here. Uh, I think the biggest difference is that TCU's numbers uh, fell off towards the end of the season after going through that grind. I- I'm curious in a situation like this, do you look more maybe at like the first, I don't know, seven weeks of the season to see exactly what these teams were? Or do you, I mean, I think you have to toss them all in there. Uh, but this one's going to be an interesting handicap trying to figure out exactly what version of TCU we're going to have show up and and what version of Michigan is going to show up? Like, is it the one that uh, was certainly peaking at the right time, but now has to take a month off? Like that's, uh, that's where it kind of jumps in. We did, uh, we did have a, uh, a chat in here. James Gearn jumped in. He said, uh, Michigan's defense is number one in second half defense. Good luck. They give up nothing in the second halves of games. TCU is done. Well, TCU has been, really incredible in the second half of games as well. I don't think you will find a better coach at adjusting at halftime than Joe Gillespie. So this is something to pay attention to. Like both of these teams, uh, TCU, more of a second half team, Michigan, more of a second half team all season. This is going to be very, very interesting as we move forward. So no official plays on these. We will have more as we get into bowl season, uh, but just an early look ahead on that one. Now, Let me go ahead and remind everybody first, go ahead and like the video if you're watching the show right now. We do appreciate that. Make sure you are subscribed so that you can be a part of this chat here. The uh, the Q&A questions come from the chat. We will be doing the Q&A after this uh, ballgame that we're going to discuss. But uh, but yeah, make sure you get the podcast as well and that you join us next week, every Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We will be right here. Now, let's talk about Ohio State and Georgia, the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, Georgia, a seven-point favorite. That is even money if you want to take Georgia right now. The total sits at 61.5. Eh, uh, this one's 8 p.m. Eastern time. 
on New Year's Eve, of course, December 31st. Ohio State 0-3-1 against the spread in their last four against winning teams. They are 2-6 against the spread in their last eight non-conference games. Georgia 8-2 against the spread in their last 10 games in December. And they seem to be playing more of those with Kirby Smart as the head coach here. Parker, I want to start with you on this. Uh, this this number has not moved. It, it was Georgia 7 when it opened. It's still sitting at Georgia 7. Uh, the juice maybe have, has changed just a little bit, but you start going through, you're looking at team strength. You're, you got Georgia at number one, Ohio State at number three. These are two immensely talented teams. Uh, I thought maybe we would see a little bit of movement when we got news that Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be out for this game. Uh, he said that he is going to the NFL draft. He is He's not playing. Um, I'm, I'm very curious when looking at these numbers. Uh, I think you would have to lean Ohio State here, even though uh, maybe uh, you wouldn't necessarily see it from what they did in that Michigan game. Uh, what do you see in this one, Parker? I don't know how I could, without running my numbers, I don't know how I wouldn't bet on Georgia in this game. Um, just just the, the whole season, the issue with Georgia has been, do they care or do they not care? Um, and we've seen in games where they're uninterested, they let people hang around, they don't do a good job, they, they do as little as possible. Um, I, I mean, we've seen games where they care. The body language, we, I think we were laughing about this in the group chat. I'm not sure if I sent it to you guys or not, but like LSU had that drive where Nussmeyer completed like three or four passes. And then you saw the body language of the Georgia players be like, all right, dude, if we're still going to do this, and then they stalled him and intercepted it. Like, you can just kind of see there's a difference there. Um, Ohio State is certainly good, and I think that they are kind of getting, un- like, I think Stroud's getting a little unma- unfairly maligned in, like, the conversation of the Heisman um, just because of the Michigan game. Um, but you look at these, uh, I mean, I mean, Georgia has allowed 12.8 points per game all season um, and and have played some pretty good offenses. Like, we saw what they did to Tennessee um and I, I'd say that C.J. Stroud is certainly more accurate than um, than Hooker, and Hooker had the opportunities. Like, there were two or three yes. throws where if one, a Georgia defender hadn't made a play, but others where where if Hooker had hit it, it'd be a different game. And I think I think Georgia would have kept scoring. I still think they would have won, but there could have been a little bit more pressure there. So maybe you could argue that. Um, but just looking at this defense, looking at a month for pair, I'm certainly more inclined to think that Kirby Smart with a month is a huge advantage over Ryan Day with a month to prepare there, especially with um, some staff transitions for Ohio State. Um, we'll, we'll see how opt-outs on Ohio State kind of affect this. I, I'd certainly like to believe these guys are still motivated and and want to play. But again, business decisions. If you're injured, why would you, you know, I don't I don't blame him at all for, for not trying to press an injury in a game where he hasn't really played all season. Um, Georgia's front, I think, is just so disruptive that even as Ohio State has a pretty good offensive line, I, I just don't know that they're going to be able to keep Stroud um, you know, clean enough to be able to really run his full offense, let the routes develop. Um, Stroud, when he's under pressure, is um, only 21% of his dropbacks, but he drops from a 71.2% completion percentage to a 40.6% uh, completion percentage, 8% turnover worthy play. So um, he gets flustered when he's in, under pressure and he's not under pressure a lot. Uh, I don't know. There's not a lot of reason to think that Georgia won't get a lot of pressure on him and really make him uncomfortable, which will disrupt their game script. And I, I, I think Georgia could win. The, uh, I, I think even before running my numbers for the final um, iteration that Georgia should win this pretty handily. I, I don't know that I disagree. I think from a talent perspective, getting seven points for Ohio State I, I feel like that's almost an automatic uh, because they do have plenty of time. But I, I do understand where you're coming from there. Uh, Kyle, let's uh, let's move over to you. Uh, these Ohio State numbers, uh, you know, towards the end of the season, I mean, they're just not great at uh, at running the football. And a lot of that has to do with injury, et cetera. Uh, but is there any way that Ohio State can keep, you know, these numbers, number 65 PPA per rush over the last six weeks, uh, number 74 uh, rushing success grade over the past six weeks, can they do that against Georgia and still have a way to win? I think you have to be a little bit balanced. Uh, how do you see this game, uh, this game breaking down? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Buckeyes get another chance here after a bad performance for sure. I think they'll be hyped up. I think they'll be plenty motivated, not saying Georgia won't be. But, you know, they get a second chance here. Uh, can Noel scheme up the defense to to do something here? Because basically the problem is they play a team like Michigan, that's just better at what Michigan does. So uh, Georgia's a better team than Michigan, in my opinion. A lot of people would, would say the same thing, and they play similarly. Um, you know, this is a, 
a Knowles defense that's very aggressive, and that aggression hurt them a lot against Michigan. Uh, I, I think Stetson Bennett has clearly improved a lot. You know, we, we've talked against Stetson Bennett sometimes as far as being one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen or anything, but he's certainly improved a lot, and he's a, he's a good quarterback. Um, he has the weapons to make Ohio State pay if they're too aggressive. I mean, I think you would say that as far as wide receivers, especially when you throw in the tight end, Georgia has more of them that can beat you than does Michigan. Um, I think Ohio State will score points here, too. It would surprise me if Ohio State doesn't score a decent amount. They'll probably have Henderson or Williams back in the backfield here for this game. Uh, I think it's it's a shame that Smith and Jake Bell was hurt on the first game uh, because he looked like the best wide receiver in the country coming into the season. Uh, that definitely would have made this offense even more dangerous. Having said that, I think Stroud can hit some of those home run balls that, that uh, Hooker missed and some of the other guys missed throughout the course of the season. I agree with Gary that on surface, when you say getting seven points with a team that is this talented, uh, you say, man, I, I should probably look toward Ohio State. I am a bit nervous about Ryan Day versus Kirby Smart here, uh, like Parker said. Um, I, I'm in the middle. I don't want to be one of those Ohio State guys that says, you know, Ryan Day lost the game again to Michigan and he's got to be out of here immediately. Um, I like Ryan Day a person. I think he's a good coach overall. Uh, it's just that, you know, you know, we've seen some questionable play calling from them. I know as a fan, I'm tired of the bubble screen. <laughs> it gets old after a while, you know, like every third play, here we go again. You know, that's when I'm yelling at the TV. But uh, I, I think that in this one, as long as they're willing to take risks on offense and be aggressive, I think they can score points here. I'm really bummed that Georgia and LSU scored so many points because I was hoping to get a better number than this on an over. Over is still my lean in this game, but the reason it's 61 and a half is because it was, what, 50 to 30 in the Georgia game. So if that game would have been lower, I think we could have gotten a 58 or 59. It would have been a really good play on the over. That would still be my initial lean in this game. I, I probably won't take a side. You guys know I'm not, not anxious to bet sides in Ohio State games. But um, in this one, I do think that uh, Ohio State will score, but I'm afraid of how many they'll give up. So over is my initial thought in this one. Yeah, that is certainly something that I'm I'm sure that George is going to be working on. They gave up over 500 passing yards to LSU in that game. And yeah, I, I think I would still probably lean an over here. Uh, it opened at 60 and a half. It's up to 61 and a half. But huh, I mean, you got a month to prepare, a month to dive into uh, what these other coaches are doing. It should be very, very interesting. I believe, gentlemen, it is time for us to get to the Q&A, and we've actually got quite a few questions here. Again, thank you to everybody that jumped into the chat. You guys are the lifeblood of the show. We appreciate you for being here each and every week. And thank you to the guys from Texas and Ohio and Kentucky, et cetera, that tossed in their location uh, where they're watching from. We, we like to you know, just get an idea of uh, what parts of the country are actually tuned in to us. So thank you for tossing that in there. Let's uh, let's move along. Of course, uh, again, subscribe to the channel, like the video, and uh, share it out. Tell your friends about it. That certainly, certainly helps us quite a bit. Gene Walker starts us off. Uh, are you going to talk about TCU handing the ball off up the middle from shotgun twice on the goal line? Uh, we kind of did in the Heisman discussion. Uh, I don't disagree with the idea. Like What Parker was saying is 100% right. They had a backup nose tackle in. They thought they could move the uh, the defensive line there, and... Max Duggan was hurt. I mean, it's just blood's pouring out, and he's done everything that he could possibly do at that point. Like, I, yes, the the best play in that position would be a quarterback sneak. Yes, I, I think we can all agree on that. But uh, I don't disagree with what they were trying to do. I mean, it made perfect sense. So it is what it is. Uh, Parker, you got anything you want to add to that? You can go listen to the Pro Bowl Theory podcast and I'll get deep into the weeds on TCU and the decision there. But yeah, I think I think what I said and what you just said right there is like, yeah, hey, if I mean, if they score a touchdown, no one talks about it. If they don't, people talk about it. Um, and yeah. I don't think that was the decisive <laughs> thing in the game, even though it was one play. TCU had plenty of opportunities during the game. Um, I like I'm more concerned about their strategy to throw close their eyes and throw past then pass interference balls than actually run a functioning offense for a couple drives there than I am the decision at the goal line. So yeah, but uh, we get, we, we get way into the weeds on the problem theory podcast. If you, if you have more questions about that, I can get really nerdy about it. So I can, uh, I can understand that James S jumps in question, South Alabama and Western Kentucky, uh, Western Kentucky starting quarterback is out uh, thoughts on the South Alabama side. Uh, well, we, we're going to dive into the bowl games uh, next week. We, we will be doing, full breakdowns on every single bowl game. Uh, I, I'm not going to 
lie. I don't know what this Western Kentucky team looks like without Austin Reed right now. So, uh, Kyle, I mean, do you have a do you have a thought here, or should we should we move along? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hard to know what a lot of these teams are going to look like right now because, you know, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. We've seen the transfer portal. Um, it's going to be a complicated bowl season to handicap for sure. So uh, I'm going to have to be careful at the same time. Um, South Alabama laying seven and a half points in that one. Uh, my initial thought would be bet South Alabama, but I don't know that that's a great amount of line value there laying eight points. So um, we'll we'll take a closer look at that one coming up. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Julius Jackson jumped in. He said, uh, Western Kentucky quarterback is in the transfer portal. Yes, he is. So it's, I don't necessarily know that it means that he's out uh, unless he has said something today. But uh, but some of these guys, remember, the transfer portal, just because you enter your name does not mean that you are, are done playing for your team. Like, there are dippers out there that uh, that will just see see what the market looks like. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to play. Uh, Gorjan Ninkovitsky. Nin, nin, man, how about this? Gorjan, how's that? Can we talk about Utah and Penn State? Um, yeah, I mean, they're in the Rose Bowl, and this is a big-time spot for Kyle Whittingham. And, yeah, I mean, here, Kyle, I, I want to go back to you on this. Uh, it, this is like a, a big deal for James Franklin, right? A 10-win team, go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, this is kind of... Not necessarily restarting the clock, but this is certainly a step in the right direction for that Penn State program, right? Yeah, I think both of these guys are good coaches. Um, I, I've talked a lot about Kyle Whittingham being a really good coach. He looked very good last week, certainly. Um, you know, Utah coming up just short last year. They have to be highly motivated for a game like this. Penn State will be highly motivated. This is the type of game where I don't, I'm not concerned that we're going to have a bunch of guys opting out and missing this game. I think this will be a really fun game to watch. Uh, Utah deserving favorite uh, at the beginning in, in order. Uh, and according to my numbers, I think that's the right side uh, to be favored here. Now, you know, laying uh, three or two and a half minus 120 is not an easy thing to do against a Penn State team that, look, they lost two games this year. They lost to Michigan. They lost to Ohio State. They could have beaten Ohio State. It was a pretty close game. Uh, so Penn State, not an easy team to lay points against. I know Cam Rising has said that he would be leaving after this season. He's been kind of back and forth on his play throughout the course of the season. I know at one point, some of the Utah fans are like, good, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's leaving at the same time. You know, another week people are like, Cam Rising is tremendous. So uh, we'll see what we get from that one. I think that will be one of the funnest games of the bowl season. And I don't have any real strong initial thought on what I would bet there. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. Uh, Parker, any any thoughts on the Rose Bowl here? Like I'm, I haven't even begun to run numbers on on bowl games. I will be doing that towards the end of this week. But uh, you know, I, you you got a feel on on Utah and Penn State, maybe. No, I think if we want, if we're looking looking ahead, we're going to talk about all those in detail after we've gone through the rosters and seen the opt outs. I think I yeah. texted you guys both of my two, where it's like Florida State's going to whoop OU. Eastern Carolina is going to want coastal. Those are the only bowl opinions I have right now <laughs> until I run my numbers and then do some schedule analysis. So, I mean, I, I'm excited for this one. I think it's two very good teams and and both kind of the programs that have a lot to play for and, and will stay motivated. So I um, think it'll be a great game. Excited to watch it. Excited to get into the numbers and the personnel and, and handicap it. Yeah. Matthew Farmer jumps in. He said, guys, what are your thoughts on Tom Herman to FAU? Now, I will admit I had multiple people hit me up on Twitter talking about uh, how how ridiculous this is. How my have the mighty have fallen, and I think that I'm looking at this completely differently. FAU is about to join the American Athletic Conference. They are located in Boca. Like what? This guy gets to make you know a million and a half bucks a year, whatever it is, and live in Boca Raton. Like this seems like a pretty good deal to me. Uh, Tom Herman and Lane Kiffin are. Uh, they they at least have some kind of a friendship. Kiffin was involved with the FAU search just a little bit. They asked his opinion. He suggested Tom Herman. Uh, yeah, if you had the choice between living in Boca Raton or basically anywhere else, uh, and you're going to coach football for you know uh, two million a year, three million, whatever it is, like it, I feel like this is a pretty good gig. Like you know that you can recruit down there, uh, and you're moving into a bigger conference. So, yeah, I think uh, they have proven that they are willing to put in the resources to making sure that they've got a, a pretty good football program. Uh, Kyle, how about your opinion on this? What do you think about Tom Herman going to Florida Atlantic? 
I don't know that I expected it to be Tom Herman going there. I think some people were caught off guard by that. At the same time, when you think about it, like you said, it seems like kind of a lower pressure, good spot to be. You know, you're not going to get a ton of pressure right from the beginning. If you look really good, then it's great for your future resume. And it's probably a pretty easy spot to recruit to. You know, I mean, you think about the talent around there, even with other big name teams getting a lot of people, there's going to be plenty of guys that would be happy to go to FAU. I would suspect he'll do well there. I would as well. Parker, what about you? Any any thoughts on Herman? Three words a lot of people don't understand in um, college coaching decisions. Quality of life. Um, going to be great down there. Going to be a lot of situation for him to figure things out. Um, also, without speculating on his personal life, he looks healthy. Um, and so good, good for him. That's great. FAU is absolutely a place where you can go and you can win. And I think that more people would do well in coaching decisions to understand the combination of, you know, resources, expectations and pressure um, and understand that a job like this, you don't have to work very hard to recruit and get a good talent advantage and win a bunch of games, kind of level the ship and then take your chance at a, at a job that you really, really like, as opposed to, you know, going into a pressure cooker right now and getting, you know, moving, buying a house and getting bought out again in two and a half years after you've gone six and six, like that's just not fun. Yes, I I agree with you a hundred percent. Quality of life is incredibly important and I don't know how much better it gets than Boca. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that place is unbelievable. Uh, we've got one last question here that we'll hit on. Again, you guys can always reach out to us on Twitter. You can toss in questions uh, in the comment section after we are done with the video. We will do our best to answer as many of them as humanly possible. Uh, so go ahead and make sure and do that. Uh, Slow Jams wanted to know about UTSA and Troy. Um, but uh, look, that game is next week, or excuse me, not this coming weekend, but the next weekend. Uh, we'll be discussing it on next Tuesday's show, or the Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll be discussing it next week. Uh, but that, to me, is the most fun bowl game that we've got. I think this is the most interesting one that uh, that they have put together, even including maybe the, the CFP games. Um, but he did have a question. Does the bowl game count if freshmen are going to redshirt? Uh, it does if they've already played in four games that year. So if they have not played in their four games, then uh, then no, like it's it's the same. It just any four games, uh, according to the NCAA, that's at least that is my understanding. Parker, do you know if that's am, am I wrong on that? That is something I'll have to look into to say something confidently because I did not believe that was the case. But I also trust you. And so I don't know. That's, I remember talking about this last year for, for bowl season, and I don't believe that it's changed. I, I believe that if you were wanting this year to be a redshirt year, uh, you could not, like, for example, uh, Mikey Keene, the UCF quarterback that did not play in the AAC title game, which nobody got any kind of news on that. Uh, I mean, it, was, it was pretty nuts, but he decided not even to suit up because he wanted to save his redshirt. Now, basically what... Uh, what slow jams would be asking here is if Mikey Keene wanted to save his red shirt, does it mean only regular season or does the bowl game count since it's basically just an exhibition? Uh, yes, the bowl game does count against a red shirt. If you've already played in four games, right? Mikey Keene wanted to save his red shirt this year so that he can transfer out. And if he plays in the bowl game that UCF is in, then that is going to negate his red shirt year because he will have then played in five games. Um, at least that is the way yes, that I we, understand. We agree. It. You're you're 100 correct. We agree. I I misheard what you were saying. They can't play a fifth game. It's yes. Yeah. You only get okay. four games. Yeah. Okay. There you go. There you go. Uh, let me let me look through and see if there's any more because I want Kyle uh, tossed in here. Hey 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 Kyle, you're real close to this one. All right. So we we didn't get very many questions at all about Deion Sanders etc. Uh, but let let's let's stay off of the the Coach Prime train here. Let's. Uh, Touch close to home with it. Kent State head coach uh, Sean Lewis takes the offensive coordinator position at Colorado. Were you surprised at all by that? What do you think Kent State is looking for in this next uh, this next iteration of what they're going to do with their football program, et cetera? And kind of kind of give me some thoughts here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. I think uh, Sanders is serious about this. Obviously, if you're going to be able to pick off uh, Lewis, who's a great offensive mind. I think that's a really good start. Um, I'm surprised. I don't know exactly what Kent State will be able to get next. I, I don't think it'll be an upgrade, to be honest. You know, I think it's going to be hard to get a coach as good as Sean Lewis was for Kent State. So I would tend to think that the next person probably has a tough job. 
Um, you know, the Mac is, is not the best of leagues and you had a really good mind in there. Um, to me, you know, I, I'm surprised we didn't get more questions about Coach Prime, to be honest. But I'm sure we'll we'll have plenty of time to talk about that and the situation. I mean, just the first few days have been an absolute uh, whirlwind. And I think there's going to be so much, so much news out there. I think Lewis is a great start for sure. Most certainly. All right. I think that that is going to wrap up the Q&A. Again, reach out to us on Twitter. Reach out to us in the comment section here. Uh Make sure and like the video for us, for sure. And, of course, make sure that you are subscribed there. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's time for us to get out of here. Let's go ahead and do our picks recap. What are the best bets of the day? Uh, Kyle and I, for the first time all season, do not have a single play. But Parker is here to save the day. Uh, Parker, what have you got for us? We should have done this where it was just a close-up on my face and had both of the uh, <laughs> put you guys out of the shot. Uh, I'm going to go with Army to with a point and a half. I have them winning outright. And I'm going to go with the under at 33, which, let me tell you, it's it's a bet for sure. But staying true to the history here, and I like the slow pace of both of these teams. Give me Army plus one and a half. Give me uh, the under 33. I like it. I like it. So official plays right there for Army-Navy. Uh, that one's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. All right, next week. We begin our bowl prep, our bowl discussions, Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time, right here again. Make sure that you are subscribed, that you hit that notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live. And, of course, make sure that you download the podcast so you can go back and listen over and over. Make sure you watch again and again on YouTube as well. But that said, it is time for us to jump out of here. Oh, jump in the comments. Let us know your picks. I know a lot of you guys in the chat already did. Uh, but in the comments, let us know who you're taking in Army-Navy. Let us know whether or not you're going to take the under at that low, low number. We, uh, we would love to know your opinion on these things, as well as, you know, FAU hiring Tom Herman, all these kind of things. Uh, any, anything that you have a question about, toss it down there. Gentlemen, what a magnificent, magnificent week. We went over an hour on one game and some hypotheticals. I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's get out of here. For BetUS, where the game begins, God bless college football. And we'll see you all again next week.